Wilma McCann, 1975. Emily Jackson, 1976. Irene Richardson, 1977. Patricia Atkinson, 1977. Jane MacDonald, 1977. Jean Jordan, 1977. Yvonne Pearson, 1978. Helen Ritka, 1978. Vera Millward, 1978. Josephine Whitaker, 1979. Marguerite Walls, 1980. Jacqueline Hill, 1980. Hello, and welcome back to The Lost Girls. I am Dr. Gabrielle Malcolm, and I'm a writer and a pop culture specialist. And I'm Chris Edwards, and I am a pop culture fanatic. So, we've had quite... The beginning we we, we adopted was quite sombre Mm. for good reason. So, Peter Sutcliffe is dead. And that's probably the last time we'll mention his name directly. absolutely. On the podcast. This is a podcast about to honour the victims of these crimes. Yeah. And... Sad to say it's crimes and it's perpetrators, plural, Mm -hmm. because these are not things that happen as, you know, as infrequently as we'd like them to, and they are also just history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And to echo our last podcast, which in which we looked at the history and context and the narratives that sprung up around the 1888 murders of women in London with the five canonical victims of the killer that was known as Jack the Ripper. Um, We're now kind of in a topical sense (laughs) because of the recent um, demise of the man known as the Yorkshire Ripper. We are going to reflect that case as well as the 1888 case. We're going to look at, compare and contrast, actually how these women were treated by the police and by the press, which is something mm. I feel very strongly about being a very important factor in mm. not solving the murders or mm. not solving them soon enough. Yeah, and and our, 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 our take on this is off, it's based on our own reflection and our mm. own feelings about this. But also, you know, the, the research that the two of us have done and the the way that we've looked at the context and history of these cases and how they were handled. And we're certainly not the first people to say this and we won't be the last. Mm-hmm. Um, other, you know, plenty of academics and historians and criminologists have reflected on the fact that um, certain factors contributed in the 1970s to the fact that the murderer was not caught soon enough and why that was. Yes. So we're going to be delving into that. So tell me, uh, to you, when we mention the Yorkshire Ripper murders, what do you think of? Um, I think of 13 women. 
and I think of how the press. The, see, I wasn't. Mm. I was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I, I think I was. I was just. I was only even born when the first yeah. murder happened. But it was such a big impact mm. worldwide, not just in the yeah. UK. That's it's, interesting. So yeah. something that you know you talked about, especially when I started going into mm. politics and law, mm. it was one of the cases that was mentioned as like a huge case yeah. that yeah. involved a lot of police work. Now, uh, for me, the thing that always always struck me was how they talked about how they talked about the women. Mm. They were almost dismissed as just fallen mm. women or mm. discarded as somebody who was bad or naughty. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to hear you say that because uh, about the idea of like that there was a, a there was an awareness of it mm. as a big case mm. around the world because I grew up in the UK and I was, I am old enough to remember <laughs> the exact time scale mm. and years over which the killings happened mm. and once the arrest was made. Mm. And I remember all that firsthand mm. because it used to be on news bulletins and particularly in 1977 mm. with the string of murders of four women there and 1978 with another string mm. of murders it was almost like it was never off the news well and for me i was i was a child i was seven in 1977 and eight in 1978 mm. and i remember it vividly mm. well i have had some very interesting comments on facebook because obviously i lived up in leeds yes i yeah. lived on the border to bradford mm. And a lot of the people that I knew there, especially those who were slightly older than me, women that were slightly older than me, yeah. um, they've been putting on Facebook a lot in the last few days about their feelings about it and how they felt that they, these murders, they tainted their childhood completely. Oh, yeah, yeah. They weren't allowed to play out. They, yeah. Everybody walked in pairs. You were, you were so, there was just a terror. Yes. There was a complete terror yeah. around that, and that was caused by one very yeah. disturbed man. Well, I had to go to um, Manchester mm. for my grandmother's funeral mm -hmm. in 1977. And I was terrified mm. because there had been the murder of Jean Jordan in Manchester. Mm -hmm. So he had, that's that thing of he had crossed the Pennines. Mm. And not only was I really scared about going to Manchester, but I was terrified for my aunt and cousins who lived in Oldenville. And then the murder of Vera Mill had happened mm. at the Manchester Royal Infirmary in 1978. Mm. And the Manchester Royal Infirmary was where my mother had trained to be a nurse mm. when she was a young woman. And it's also st near to where my aunt and cousins were living. So I was absolutely... I, I felt, when I see it on the news, mm. I was terrified. I thought one day I would see my auntie's face, mm. you know, because I didn't know what a prostitute was, yeah, and they sort of didn't mention it outright mm. in and on the kind of six o'clock news bulletins in mm. that way. Obviously, pe adults knew, yes. people knew, the police knew all of this, but I just thought I'm terrified because women are being murdered within that vicinity of where <laughs> my auntie lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, it, it, is it going to happen to her? Mm. You know, and 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 it was. I, I totally get what you're saying about people, you know, and I didn't live in Yorkshire no. or in Manchester. I 
but it was everywhere. Mm. It was absolutely everywhere. And what's really interesting in, in kind of in the subsequent decades is mm. how many people have reflected on the sort of culture of the time. Mm. And there's you've got someone like David Peace, the novelist, mm-hmm. with the Red Riding quartet of novels that was turned into the Red Riding mm-hmm. trilogy with um, uh, Sean Bean mm-hmm. and you know Andrew Garfield. And and those novels, when I read those, um, it all brought it all back. Mm. All that kind of sense of threat and bewilderment and sadness that mm. hung over so mm. many people's lives. I think as well it's important to think about how it changed how women acted as well. Mm. So in a lot of areas where there is, is an active serial killer, um, mm. women start to change their behaviours. Yeah. So if, I would imagine that, that this happened here because in other places, like if, this, if they're targeting blonde women, women dye yeah. their hair, they cut yeah. their hair short. But in this case they were talking about how they were dressed Yes. So, so my yeah. so I my thoughts are that women were probably dressing a lot more modestly. Yes. In the area, just to not be, you know, not to be mistaken yeah. for someone who might be a target for him. Yeah, that's an interesting point because the, when the shift happened, mm. and in the minds of the police, the shift happened. The first four murders in seventy five to seventy seven. Wilma McCann, Emily Jackson, Irene Richardson, Patricia Atkinson. These were women who were known mm. or suspected of being prostitutes. In 1977, Jane MacDonald mm. was murdered and was found on a playground near her home after she'd been on a night out. She was 16 mm. and she was a shop assistant and had a happy family, stable, happy family life, mm-hmm. was well known in her neighbourhood, you know no kind of whiff of scandal about her and people started to reflect on the fact that now he has murdered a normal mm. woman and they used that word normal it's dreadful and <laughs> that they and the distinction between and it's interesting because um inspector lapish who's one of the um senior investigating officers um and i i preferred to uh, manhunt the Search for the Yorkshire Ripper, mm-hmm. which is a documentary, a two-part documentary that was really detailed, made about 20 years after the killings. So they were able to access loads of first-hand interviews mm. from the police officers who were still alive at the time, uh, people who'd known the victims, people who had been victims, like mm. Maureen Long and um, Marcella Claxton, who were two women who survived. Um, and it's interesting that um, Lapish says um, that we care about, we all, we cared about the victims. Mm. And he said, no, there was no difference in the eyes of the police whether she's a prostitute or a completely innocent woman. Ah. The job is the same, but the feelings are deeper. And that was Trevor Lapish. And in saying that, he immediately contradicts himself. (laughs) by saying that there is a difference, that there is a difference between a prostitute 
and a completely innocent woman. So because these women, they didn't go out to be murdered, they yes. were completely innocent. Yes. No matter what their background was, no, what their, no matter what their working conditions were, because yeah. it is work, no matter what people yeah. think, yeah. being a prostitute is their job. Yes. And they, and you know, and whether it's something that they have to occasionally mm. resort to because they're desperate, mm. or whether it's something that they are doing um, regularly mm. because of something like a drug addiction, yeah. and you know that cost to themselves physically and financially because they are dependent upon a substance. You know, again, that doesn't make them a bad person. No, they're still completely innocent with regard yeah. that they had. They've not done anything to yeah. deserve the treatment they did, whether it is being murdered, yeah. which nobody deserves, obviously, <laughs> or being talked about in that yes, way. Yes, yeah. And it's and that's that's the sort of schism, because even though the police, in the same sentence, are saying we do investigate and we do take it seriously and we do care, and if it's a completely innocent woman, we still we care a bit more, mm. really. That's what they're saying. Yeah, it's yeah like, pretty much. Yeah. That there is a difference between victims, and they are differentiating, and whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously. That's what they're doing. Mm. The fact that they have words for them, they have their tarts and slags and this, mm. that and the other, you know, and and that the completely innocent women, you know, are just women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this does parallel very much the women, the canonical five in Jack the Ripper, in the sense of how they were portrayed, especially towards the press, yeah. even though uh, very few of them, in fact, only one of them was... A known prostitute, yes. as in that was her line of work. Yeah. Some of them may have gone in and out of like prostitution for for need, for a place to stay. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. But they weren't known prostitutes. But in the press and in the and in the police files, they're all straight away. They were just talked mm. about as fallen women. Yeah. They weren't as good as anybody else. They had they were so flawed and they were bad and they yeah. were they were drinkers and they were divorcees. Yeah. So so the it's just. Very, very fascinating to see how the language yeah. hadn't changed in almost a hundred yeah, years. Yeah, a hundred years, <laughs> and they are still. They may have more forensic capability. Mm. They may have, uh, you know, better systems of analysis, more, more, more human resources mm. to investigate, but they still thought of them as targets. And what's interesting is when you reflect on Wilma McCann's life, mm. that at 28, she was a single mother of four children, yep. and she'd come from Scotland, and she was living in Leeds. And she was murdered on the playing field behind her home, um, very close by, she'd been for a night out. And what's interesting about her life is that as her son, Richard mm. McCann, who is a wonderful man, he's a campaigner for victims' rights mm. and for the kind of psychological and physical well-being of women who are, you know, who find themselves in prostitution. And I remember him saying that, you know, everybody always talked about my mother as a prostitute. Mm. And he was just like, she wasn't a prostitute. Mm. She was somebody who was forced into using kind of the tra transactional mm -hmm. sexual, you know, ac activity for food, groceries, mm. a lift home, 
you know, because she couldn't pay a taxi fare, you know, hitching lifts, mm. being able to get a bag of groceries to take home to her children. Mm. You know, she would go out, like, as if almost like on a kind of scavenge. Mm. And she would be going to pubs. Mm. She'd be doing a pub crawl and, you know, she'd be get hoping that someone would buy her a drink mm. and maybe, you know, a bag of chips mm. and maybe she'd end up with a few pounds with mm. a fiver to be able to get a bag of groceries mm. and hitch a lift home to be go, to go home to her children to feed yeah. them. And they'd be waiting at home and as as the kind of um evidence shows that they were there in there they she put them to bed mm. the neighbors knew she had to go out mm-hmm. they were checking in on them yep. they would know to look after wilma's children because she had to go out mm-hmm. and it's that thing that it's that kind of struggle mm. of you don't have a job mm. you don't have any kind of income you know, where are the fathers in all of this? Mm. You know, Vera Millwood had seven children yeah. and she'd had one of her lungs removed because of disease and she was struggling to make ends meet and look after seven children. You know, the 1970s was a desperate, awful time mm. of unemployment and of recession. Mm. And not only that, we used to have regular um, power cuts... You didn't have energy coming to you. You were sitting in the dark, mm. you know, from the moment you got home from school because of the energy crisis and the power cuts. So it's like we're not talking about, you know, a landscape in which a woman had... A woman of, of those means, with those responsibilities, would have the agency to go out and, you know, take a, type up a CV and take it around to places mm. to look for a job. You know, they weren't. They didn't. They weren't privileged to that sort of existence. No, and it's it's still like that. Yeah, it's still yeah, like I'm that. I'm saying it as if it's yeah. like yeah, this is forty years ago, yeah. but it. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's just still very much like yeah. that in in parts of the UK. Unfortunately, even with our benefit system, even with food banks, exactly. with everything, yeah. there are still women that are doing this to. And what, and what and what exactly what necessitates food banks mm. what necessitates these interventions mm. on behalf of communities for volunteering and donations mm-hmm. because there is not enough of a safety net yeah. there is not enough of a safety net for people from school age and through the care system that's the situation for another of the victims mm. Helen Ritker who was 18 mm. so what's there's very little difference between her and Jane McDonald yeah. but Helen Ritker had grown up in the care system mm. her and her twin sister were both resorting to prostitution mm. because they were desperate to go to college yeah. Helen wanted to go to art college yeah, so so they aged out of yeah, the they aged system. Out yeah, nowhere to go. Yeah, nowhere to stand. So, so your what, what own, have you got? Yeah, then? your own your transactional, you know, commodity is your body, and that's what you're forced to use. Yeah. and that's what we've got to think about. That's what we've got to address. Mm. You have to give people more agency mm. and more resources other than their own bodies mm-hmm. to be able to function, you know, in society and enter adult society. Mm. Sonia McCann, who very sadly, Wilma's daughter, committed suicide when she was still a young woman, um, she said, 
that I think most people remember the number 13 for the number of women he killed. But what about the children? There's 25 of them and no one remembers them. Mm. So these were women with families. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, the children had to grow up with this. And especially if you're thinking about it, a lot of these women, or pretty much all of them, were single yeah. mothers. So what happened to the children? Is is there an, is there the next cycle mm. of children in foster care in yeah. in homes on their own that were they were resulted from these events? Yeah. So it's so it's it's, it's a vicious yeah. circle. The children of vulnerable women mm. who become victims in mm. horrible circumstances yeah. of domestic violence or assault mm. and rape, their children are more likely to have have a similar you know outcome. That's, that's what we have to do. We have to not allow that to keep happening. Well, there is a very, very interesting documentary. That yeah, is set yeah, in you've, Leeds. Watched, you've watched that recently. Yeah, yeah tell us Leeds. about that. And it is uh, set in the, there is a, the, um, it's a quarter, like a neighbourhood in Leeds where mm. it's legal now. Right, they've yeah. got like a safe zone. Yes. For, yeah. yeah, so within certain hours of the day, women are not harassed or arrested for being prostitutes. Step in the yeah. right direction. Yeah. According to me, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but when you're looking at the, this program, you're looking at these women, they are. When you first look, start watching, you're thinking, oh, are they going to just. It's a bit exploitative, like it's very much in their faces. Yeah. But actually, what it's doing is humanizing something that's that so, still so stigmatized. Sex workers. Yes. So stigmatized, yeah. but so, it's showing yeah. that they are just ordinary women. A lot of them have had abuse in their background. Yes, yeah. Many of them were in the foster care system. But this is the interesting bit about the children that were there. Their children, none of them had their children with them. So now yeah. these women are on the streets. They're not taking care of their children, but they have no. children. But they're in the foster care system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it was a very, very enlightening, eye-opening mm. series. It was incredibly raw. Yeah, incredibly, hopefully honest. Yeah, um, and but it just made you realise that these women—they're—they're they're fighters. They are wanting that. Yes, they are stuck in drugs. Yes, they are sex workers, but they've got hopes and they got yeah. dreams, and they—they're just constantly trying to motivate themselves to get out of this vicious yes. cycle. But they haven't got, like you said, yes. they haven't got the agents. They haven't got mm. a way to step out of it. There are some wonderful organisations out there that are helping, but mm. it's not enough. It's not enough. In the same way that what was interesting in 2006 mm. with the murders of the women in Ipswich yes. um, and the five women murdered, again, same characteristics, mm. same vulnerabilities. Tanya Nicholl, Gemma Adams, Anne Lee Alderton, Annette Nichols, and Paula Clonell. And what really resonates with what you said was the fact that they also, some of them had children, mm -hmm. but their children weren't with them. Their children mm -hmm. had been put into the care system. Mm -hmm. They were desperately, Paula Clonell particularly, desperately working to try to earn enough money mm -hmm. to buy Christmas presents to send to her children in foster care. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that sort of thing. It's like, you know, she's they're living in, a, in one room, they're living in bedsits, they're living almost partially on the streets, mm -hmm. some of them, or they're living in abusive relationships, or they've left, recently left abusive mm. relationships, 
or that they've Gemma Adams had recently been in prison. Mm. You know, she was she was coming out of prison. She wanted to set up her own business as a mobile hairdresser, but she then wanted to buy Christmas presents for her yeah. family. You know, it's that sort of thing that keeps it kind of just keeps dragging them back. It's like the kind of two steps forward, one step mm. back. Just further, furthering on from these binds that these women are in, mm. this sort of vicious circle, um, when you said about two steps forward, one step back, um, it was quite interesting. I read an article this morning, so this is 2020, this year, today, uh, about the crisis in sex workers at the moment. Now, people are losing their jobs. We're back to... The, 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 back to yeah. very similar numbers that are creeping towards the 70s numbers here. Yeah, that is really chilling because yeah. of that, that idea of what what do what can people resort to? Yes. What's the choice ahead of them mm. if so, you lose your job at this point and there's no employment on the horizon? No. So, so there are women, there are more women actually going into this sort of work, but it's illegal today mm. because you're not allowed to mingle with anyone. So they're actually, actually, so they can't access any healthcare now. Mm. They can't go to the GP because then they'll be, then they'll be uh, fined or worse. Yeah. (laughs) And they, but they're also on the flip side, they're not getting any benefits or help or no because they're not working. Yeah. But they are, but they are working. So these women are out there, and they are not just risking their lives because of abuse. Or, or venereal diseases, they are now risking lives maybe actually contracting corona and spreading yes. to their families. And it's like if the trap could get any worse, any more severe for them, it now has. Yeah. You know, if, if you if you're in that situation, how do you get to your clinic yeah. for support? How do you get your methadone? How do you get these, you know, the things that have been in place to help women? Because the Ipswich cases mm-hmm. were very interesting because in the aftermath of the murders, there was a massive influx of support and care mm. and initiatives to help the women into work and, mm. you know, into improving their lives. But it's almost like, what does it take? Mm. It takes a serial murderer. Mm. It takes, you know, this now, a pandemic health crisis with a massive spike in mm people having to use prostitution to get by mm. but where you know and but what about all the problems that will occur because of it now mm. yeah that you know it's just going to be exacerbated further and further yeah so they're definitely they are just cornered mm. these women and men yes we remember as well yes i know we're talking about women in this yes. case but there are lots and lots of vulnerable men, men are vulnerable there as, well. as well and they are preyed upon in exactly they are yeah. subject to um as much if not more violence mm on an everyday basis you know yeah. young men are you know likely to be the they have greater chance of mm. being victims of violent violent assault and murder yeah. you know it's the fact that you we get this these kind of categories of mm. crime that fit together in this kind of serial multiple fashion mm. where women are targeted and mm. vulnerable women become the, the news story in that sense. So the English collector of prostitutes has now mm. called for state support for workers in the coronavirus yeah. pandemic. Yeah. And that is brilliant. Uh, you know, if they need, Will they, they, they need be to be pressured. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's 
so naive of government mm. and of society in general. It's so naive, as it was in the 1880s, mm. to label people as being um, being culpable mm. in their own spiral downwards in mm. their own vulnerability. Mm. You know, to say to prostitutes, as people did in Ipswich, in Yorkshire, you know, we want these women to stay off the streets. There's a dangerous man out there attacking mm. you. We're appealing to these working women not to go out on the street. And you just think, no. Yeah. <laughs> they, Catch the choice. murderer. Yes. Yeah. There's no <laughs> choice on. in the matter here. Yeah. Women, lock yourselves away. Yeah. Don't eat. Yeah. Don't expect to be able to go out and do anything. Don't expect... You know, like people complain about that, you know... The lockdown, mm. it's no big surprise for women. Mm. About six or seven times in my life, I've been told to stay indoors. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's a madman out there. Yeah, there's danger, danger for you. Danger. There was a guy who, when I was a student, there was a guy hitting women over the back of the head in Canterbury. Oh, yes, I yeah. remember that. And when I was, you know, walking down through, you know, in the underpass from the railway station to mm. get to college, it was like kind of... Don't go down there. Okay, so I have to cross four lanes of traffic on the mm. dual carriageway, you know, or stay at home. Yeah. It's like kind of, you're too vulnerable. You're a silly girl mm. going out. What do you think, you know, going out to your, to your college lectures mm. and coming back at six o'clock at night in the dark? What's yeah. the matter with you? Stay off the street, you silly girl. Mm. I'm just like, kind of, you know. Don't do your education or don't go to work. Yeah. Starve. Which is interesting because that in the, in the latter... The latter section of women killed mm. in the 70s mm. were, were Barbara Leach, Margaret was, they were students. They were, yes. And it was in the districts in Leeds and Bradford near mm. the universities. Mm. And it's again that thing of like women being mobile, mm. women being out in public, mm. women anticipating that they can have this you know, something that's considered to be a great advantage of yes. getting your education. But it's like, oh, no, no, no. Because you have to, you know, you have to stay stay safe. <clears throat> so we come to another point that is actually you know it is very disturbing and troubling mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that um you know you always hope and pray that it'll be different mm-hmm. but then you find that it's not um in the 1970s it was and it's something that um professor uh, david wilson in his book about british serial killing reflects on the mm. the police culture and the police culture uh when they approached the issue of the cr- the sort of crimes that are around prostitution and the sex industry because kind of in and of itself prostitution isn't a criminal act it's the it's the associated Yes. activity around it of soliciting and of living off immoral earnings and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know so when they had to go into the red light districts and they were tracking people's car number plates they then had to go and approach mm. these men who were using prostitutes and they they realized 
the thousands upon thousands of men in the north of England who were using prostitutes mm. compared to like the number of women who were actually involved in the you know as sex workers but these thousands of men and they had to track down as many as they could but their attitude was the softly softly approach mm. to avoid embarrassment and things like discretion had to be used in order to save marriages wow yes because that's more important than women being murdered obviously mm. i mean it just <laughs> Rather like that differentiation between mm. victims of ordinary women versus criminal bad women. Mm. You know, again, it's this thing of like, well, we don't want to embarrass these men. You know, we have to ask them these difficult questions, but we have to do it in such a way that we don't endanger their marriage and we don't embarrass them. Mm. And it just, it just is so much at odds with the job that they were supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. which was about protection and detection of a perpetrator like this. Yes, and I think this is a a real key issue, it's like, who are we protecting in society? Because it should be the most vulnerable, even Mm. in a lot of people's attitude is that they're not worthy of it. Yeah, it should be the Wilma McCanns of this world who Mm. feel they have to go out and resort to that in order to get a bag of shopping, mm. and they're her four children who are left by themselves at home. Mm. In a, That's who you should be working for. Mm. You shouldn't be, you know, on eggshells around some man, you know, in his, you know, in his Austin Allegro, who's cruising the red light district. Mm. He's not the vulnerable person here. No. You know, it's, and that's where I think that, you know, this idea of the kind of police culture, Mm. this culture of innocent versus immoral, is again something that inhibits and did inhibit their process Mm. of detection. Yeah, because you can't really be asking a lot of honest, straightforward yeah. questions if you're yeah. skirting around the subject or trying to get the wives to make cups of tea. Exactly. <laughs> it was all this, you're, you're giving your officers, this. here's the tactic that you have to adopt when you go in someone's house to ask him about his activities and when he was taking the car out. And you've got to be really careful and you've got to get the missus out of the room and, you've got to, and that was the attitude mm. they took. Not, let's make sure that we dig down and we find out you know and we double check if they're trying to give us an alibi they didn't do that and they spoke to Peter they interviewed Peter Sutcliffe seven times over that and each time he kept denying and was being given alibis by his mother and his wife Mm. but they didn't check it because it was just enough for his wife to say he was at home with me yeah. And that was and they left it. Even though the police officers involved had a bad feeling about him because he looked like the photo fit. He looked again and again, that same photo fit image came up and they had him in the system all along. Well it's this thing of the decent married man. Yeah. You know, the fact that they couldn't even imagine oh no no but he's, he's got yeah, a wife yeah. and a mother and he's yeah. he, he seems perfectly yeah. normal and, this is yeah. the work of a madman yeah. but as Professor Michael Green who was mm. the deputy um, pathologist mm. with the home office patho- pathologist David mm-hmm. G 
when they did the examinations, again and again, Professor Green says, this is methodical. Mm -hmm. This was methodical, it was deliberate, he took his time. This is not a frenzied attack. Mm -hmm. And they kept trying to say, the police kept trying to say, he's a madman, you know, don't go out on the streets because there's a madman. Yeah. Yeah. Like the like the Jack the Ripper myth. Yes. The Spring Hill Jack myth. Oh, absolutely. The the you know they come out of the fog and then they you know they slash and stab and then they vanish. Well, he didn't stab all of his victims. Some he hit over back the head, but left them. Mm. They survived, you know. But then they weren't believed Mm. because they weren't prostitutes and they weren't. You know, they, were they were dead and they hadn't been stabbed and it yeah. was like he was attacking you know women all women mm. you know as early as 1971 mm-hmm. and 1974 mm. before he took to you know the more and more violent acts and escalated which is another thing that you, the comparison between him and Jack the Ripper in the sense that with Jack the Ripper as well he incapacitated his victim yeah. he cut the yeah. throat and then he took his time yeah. to do his ritual his process but the police were all talking about this crazy yeah. demon yeah. almost demonic yeah. attacks and blitz attacks yeah. when actually they weren't they were very methodical very yeah. under control as, as was the Yorkshire River because you yeah. were saying about the the things he was doing were very yes. much... Yes, the pathologists, right from the get-go, and this is this is before we didn't have DNA evidence, we didn't have the, the, the forensics we have now, but the pathologists at the time could distinguish mm. the type of wounds that he was inflicting mm. and the fact that he used a sharpened screwdriver mm. and he reinserted it into the wounds. Mm. So it wasn't like a stab, stab, stab attack. It no. was a methodical deliberate thing mm. and they kept and he keeps saying he keeps coming back to these words mm. on the Manhunter documentary the Manhunt mm. documentary keeps saying these words he says it was deliberate it wasn't frenzied mm-hmm. it was a, but then at the same time mm. the the police's vocabulary mm. when they're talking about it they kept saying he's a madman he's mm. he's for, these are frenzied attacks mm. he's very, and it's like no so if you're approached by some bloke who is really softly spoken mm-hmm. and who offers you a lift home yep. after a party, as happened to Marcella Claxton, yep. you know, who was black, had a learning disability, was not believed mm-hmm. when he gave her a lift home after a party mm-hmm. and he, when she was getting out of the car, hit her over the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And she she had to stagger, right, or she got away from him and she was clutching her own underwear to her head where it was, she was bleeding, there was blood, mm. like, you know. Mm. She got to a phone box and phoned for an ambulance mm. and at the time she was four months pregnant and she lost, she miscarried. Oh. So it's like kind of, she is not someone who is listed as a victim mm. in the same way, like Maureen Long, mm. who was attacked, like, on her way home from going to the bingo and going out dancing. You know, she ended up with a metal plate in her head. Yeah. You know, and people were people were partially paralysed. People were, you know, like traumatised. Oh, absolutely. Never mind yes. the actual psychological trauma, the yeah. physical trauma. You know, of being subjected to a hammer attack. Yeah. You know, it was not taken seriously enough. This no. is this is what we keep coming back to. They really didn't take it seriously enough. Mm. I mean, you know, I applaud the people that eventually tracked him down, but they, the culture of it was that they would, the will was not there. Yeah, 
it's danger. That's the danger. The dangerous thing yeah. is the culture that is yeah. supposed to be protecting people yeah. and actually stopping yeah. these things from being sold. Yeah. And the difference, the difference when you look at Ipswich mm. in 2006, and when you look at when you when you see the interviews with mm. the investigators there the will was there mm. and they said we're the smallest police force in Suffolk in the mm. country but they appealed for help mm. from across the other police forces Liverpool because I was living in Liverpool at the time and so it was um it was actually thanks to Merseyside Police and lots of other forces around the country. When Suffolk appealed to them for support, Merseyside sent two of their vans, mm. which is the number plate recognition oh, yes. technology. <laughs> in the van. They have, they have, pla- they have lot- in Merseyside, they've got lots of resources like that. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting edge. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but they, because Suffolk was kind of like, mm. wasn't as well off and they weren't as well equipped, they they asked for help. Mm. They asked for the support and help of the media as mm. well. They asked for the media to, you know, be in attendance mm. and kind of like look out for the women who were on the streets. Mm. You know, that they did there was a sort of proactive approach, I hate that word, but it, there was something else about the culture. And I think that's something that's really necessary. Yeah, and it's and from the and because of that, they, they did catch him earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have Thankfully. carried on. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't have like had it. It had that aspect of kind of tainting that period of time over those months. But you compare that to like the seven years. Mm, of, seven you years. Know, and it was like that thing of it. It like you said, it afflicted the lives of so many women living yeah. and growing up there. It, it wasn't yeah. just these women and it yeah. wasn't just that there was children it was everyone in the areas yeah. where he was yeah. active so I think that um, if anything comes out of this that there's another period of time where we reflect and review upon what went wrong mm-hmm. what wasn't done and what ought to have been done Yes, and learn from those mistakes and I think there is definitely motivation to do that looking at the Ipswich yeah. murders is that there is there is a change there and is hopefully, yeah. and hopefully we'll continue yeah and DNA hmm. DNA mother <laughs> DNA you mothers that's the thing that stopped so many hmm. and the the, the 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 period of time the type of attacks hmm. the right because DNA they know they're gonna get got yep <laughs> thank you very much thank you